be in the book of Titus tonight after Timothy, before Hebrews. It's kind of stuck in the middle there, the book of Titus. While you're turning there, I think of that whenever I sing what a day that'll be. It reminds me of Revelation 21. It says, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away and he that sat upon the throne said behold I make all things new and he said unto me right for these words are true and faithful and he said unto me it is done I am Alpha and Omega the beginning and the end I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely he that overcometh shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he shall be my son but the fearful and unbelieving the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire Fire and brimstone, which is the second death. I'm glad that uh, uh, many saw it. John saw it. Uh, I, let's see who else would have seen it. Isaiah saw it. Different one. Daniel would have seen uh, different things uh, uh, that are, are coming after this life, and I'm thankful for that because the same God uh, that knows the future is the one that showed it to them in the past. And I'm looking forward to it, aren't you? I'm looking forward to a brighter day with no more death, no more parting, no more tears, uh, no more sadness, no more sin, no more battling the flesh. None of those things, it'll all be gone. And it's not because of what I've done or what you've done or not because of what this church has done. It's because of what Jesus did on the cross. Aren't you glad for that? Thankful for that. Titus chapter 1 tonight. Titus chapter 1. I want to look towards the end of the chapter uh, this is a small book, uh, but I tell you, some of these smaller books of the Bible, they pack a lot in here, uh, and this one's no different. We're going to start in verse 9 tonight. So Titus 1, 9 says, Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, uh, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Uh, unto, unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. Uh, they profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for uh, the truth in it, the staying power, the faithfulness of it. And Lord, I pray that you'd help me to preach tonight. Lord, help uh, uh, us to understand your word, Lord, and help us to apply it to, your to our lives tonight. Lord, we thank you for we ask all these things in Jesus' name, and amen. So Paul's writing to Titus, uh, and in this first chapter, of course, he starts off with the greeting, uh, and he says in there that he had left uh, Titus there in Crete, 
uh, to serve. So he let, he leaves him there. And so after this greeting and leaving him there, uh, uh, we start to see in verses six through nine, uh, we get the requirements of a bishop or, or of a pre, of a pastor. Uh, we see these requirements in these verses, and it's pretty similar to first Timothy chapter three. You see the requirements of a bishop over there as well. First uh, Timothy's a little longer than one right here, but you see a lot of the same thing. Uh, in both of them. Uh, but look in verse 9. It starts to, after dealing with the character of what the bishop needs to be, how he needs to act, and, and, and things like that, verse 9 deals with his preaching and teaching. And what's it say right at the beginning? Holding fast the faithful word. Do you see that? Uh, so as we start to look in this passage, uh, Paul wrote this uh, uh, a little over nine, 1950 years ago. And isn't it, look at it, it is still relevant to the New Testament church today, still relevant to us today. We've got to hold fast to the scriptures, hold fast to the Bible and not let it go. Because again, the word will be faithful till the end. It will be faithful beyond the end uh, when everything else changes, when everything else gets corrupted uh, or compromised or anything else. Uh, we can still hold fast to the word of God. And that's why we preach and teach the Bible here. There's a lot of things that I could get up here and teach you that might be helpful, but that's not what God has commanded me to do. It's to, it's to preach the word, to hold fast. And that's what we see there in verse nine hold fast the faithful word as he hath, he hath been taught again talking about the bishop here that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers so what do we see he is to take that faithful word take that what he has been taught from the bible so that he can teach it to others that's that's the job there we see uh, and he is saying what what's he want to teach he says it in two words What's the message? What do you want? What needs to be brought from the Bible? The faithful word, two words. It says sound doctrine. Do you see that? Do you see it there in verse nine? Uh, that sound doctrine in verse nine and down in verse 13 leads to sound faith. Do you see that? Sound doctrine leads to sound faith. And then in chapter two, what do we see in verse one? Sound doctrine again. Then in verse two, what's that lead to? Being sound in faith. We see it over and over again. And once, you're, once you've got sound doctrine and once you've got sound faith, uh, chapter two, verse eight, what's it say? Sound speech. It all goes together. Right? Do you see that? Sound, uh, sound truth, sound doctrine leads to sound uh, faith, which leads to sound living. And that's what needs to happen. And that's what he's showing us right here uh, uh, in here. But that sound means uncorrupt, unbroken, complete, perfect, strong, true. So he's saying, hey, I want you to preach this doctrine and teach it that isn't corrupted by this world, isn't broken. You haven't taken one piece and left out other pieces. You need the whole thing perfect strong complete and true and that's what he's saying you know the holy spirit could have inspired paul to write to titus all sorts of things to preach and teach maybe church history uh maybe famous church people over the years maybe how uh government and christianity come together uh growth programs all sorts of different things but that's not what he's saying he's saying hey i want you to preach and teach sound doctrine because he's getting ready to explain uh the powers of darkness of this world what are they attacking today they are attacking 
attacking the truth, sound doctrine. That's what they're attacking from the Bible. We see it over and over again. And here's the thing. I know this is in the context of a bishop right here, but I don't believe it matters if you're teaching or preaching uh, uh, whatever the job you have, whether it's a Sunday school teacher, a junior church leader, uh, or what, uh, or, or teaching the kids or anything else. When you're teaching the kids, don't just tell them how strong Samson was. You know, that that's a good thing, and it makes a good coloring page, but you tell them how uh, he, he did the things that happened into his life when he was disobedient, when he turned from God, when he trusted in himself. Look at the bad results that happened. We need to teach him sound doctrine, and we see that over and over again. So that we see in, in his life, disobedience and chasing after lust led to his downfall. And it will be any of us if we do the same thing. But when we teach and preach sound doctrine, what's it say? It will exhort believers. It'll strengthen one another, encourage one another, help fire each one another up. That's what it says it will do and help advise each other. Like, what do we need to do? Sound doctrine tells us how we need to live because uh, guess what? It's not automatic. You don't understand the second you get saved, everything on how to live. You've got to get into the Bible. You've got to dig in and you've got to listen to sound doctrine preached and taught. And then not only that, it says it'll convince the gainsayers. The ones that refuse it, the ones that dispute, the ones that argue. It says, hey, what what if anything's going to get them to turn to the truth? It'll be sound doctrine, right? It won't be logic. It won't be outmaneuvering them. It won't be stats and everything else or impressing them with a show or, or, or anything else. It will be sound doctrine from the word of God. That's what the Bible says. And back in verse 5, uh, Paul said to Titus, I left you there in Crete to, what did he say to do? To set things in order, or to set in order the things that are wanting. And he's saying, hey, there's some problems in Crete, and I'm putting you here as a leader. And I'm going to, uh, eventually he's going to train up other leaders and they're going to uh, overcome the area and put churches and, and believers in every city that they can in that area. That was the goal. Uh, but the reason that he had to set things in order, I believe, is the next part of the passage, verses 10 through 16. We see all the problems that were going on in Crete. Verse 10, what's he say? For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. So we've got three groups. Number one, we've got the unruly, right? The ones that are disobedient, the ones that are rebellious, the ones that don't want to submit to the Lord. They don't want to follow any authority or anything like that, whether it's the governmental authority, whether it's the workplace, uh, whether it's the home, whether it's the church, whatever. Uh, they don't like any rules. They don't like to be told what to do or anything else. And I'll tell you what, that's dangerous for the world, but it's even more dangerous in the church when you've got unruly, when you've got people that don't want to submit because God has, like it or not, God has established authorities in the church uh, and in the home in different places. We're to obey. Uh, children are to obey their parents. Uh, uh, church, uh, they are to obey their pastor and the government leaders and things like that. But we've got unruly people. Haven't you seen it today? Haven't you seen how this world, it is so popular now to be unruly, to just do your own thing and to go your own way and, and all of these things. And, and all it is is the devil trying to make rebellion look good. But it's sinful. Next, vain talkers, my goodness, empty, full of nonsense, moving their mouth, but nothing really, it's nothing really of substance. And I'll tell you what's the truth. 
The technology that we have today has made it so vain talkers can get a bigger platform and audience than they ever have before, right? You know where they're at? They're everywhere. YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, everywhere, right? Instagram, anywhere where you can put up a video and move your mouth. And I don't know how many times I've listened to people and all it is is vain talkers. They are saying nothing of value whatsoever. It is just ridiculous. Their mouths are moving. The words are coming out, but it's empty. And that's what he's saying. It's vanity. And he said Crete was full of them. I'll tell you what, our world is full of them today. And shame on us if we're following them or subscribing or what it takes to continue to listen to more of the vain talk instead of moving on to something else. Deceivers. You know, deceivers are just following after the chief deceiver, the devil, right? It's misleading, confusing, bringing people from uh, the truth to error. That's what we've seen all the way from Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden. And there are people that will go after Christians, especially New Christians or ones that are weak in their faith and try to deceive them. That's exactly what the devil did. That's exactly the serpent, right? Hath God said, did he really say that? Does the Bible really say that? Do you really think God would do that? It's those questions that are trying to draw people away. And many have, many have. They're trying to shake what little faith people have and what little understanding they have in the truth and make them start to question God and draw them away. And here's what Paul is telling Titus. He said, you are in a city that in an area that is full of unruly, vain talkers and deceivers, and they're all working against the church. And if they get in the church, uh, you need to deal with that. And what's he saying again? What's the method to oppose all of this? What's the method to go against unruly, vain talkers and deceivers? Again, it's the same thing. Sound doctrine. It's the same thing, right? If they're unruly, you'll show how the word says you need to get under certain rules, right? If they're a vain talker, you say, hey, I'll give you something that you need to talk about. It's the truth. Or deceivers, again, go back to the truth instead of lies. But here's the danger. Look at verse 11. Whose mouths must be stopped who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. And here's the danger, the danger of unruly vain talkers and deceivers. It says, uh, the Bible says they subvert whole houses, turn entire houses from the truth to something else, to a lie. Haven't we seen that? People strong in faith, or we thought, people that we thought were just really plugged in, and then all of a sudden they're gone. And here's the sad part, when a parent does that, uh, when one spouse does it, then a lot of times it's easier for another spouse to follow along, and then the children follow along, and soon the entire house is gone. I'm not saying every time, but a lot of times this is what happens. They just pull them away. And have you ever seen uh, parents that have a young family, right? They leave something true. They leave a Bible-believing church, uh, and they go to a cult. They go to something false or watered down or compromised or whatever, and those children are raised up under falseness and deception and everything else. It is a 100 times harder to get to them with the truth, isn't it? The devil knows that. And what's their motivation? This shouldn't shock us. For filthy lucre's sake, right? Greed. That's the, that's the motivation of all these things. 
I found something. If you didn't know, the founder of Scientology, a false religion, his name's L. Ron Hubbard, and he said this, if you don't get rich writing science fiction, or you don't get rich writing science fiction, if you want to get rich, you start a religion. And that's what he did. He was a writer at first. He sold some books, but not enough to get rich. So he started Scientology. Made millions and millions, right? Isn't it sad? And you're thinking, well, Mike, that's an extreme example. No, you turn on the TV, look at any of those prosperity preachers. What are they in it for? They're not in it for bringing people to Jesus. They're in it to get money in their wallets. Look at how they dress. Look at how they uh, look at the cars they drive, the jets they fly in. And that tells you everything. And then I, I, you hear them and they're, they're full of nonsense. Again, vain talkers and deception. They're great at that. And, and they'll say, I heard one of them say, well, you know, if Jesus were around today, he should surely would have flown in a private jet you know he surely would have had one and I'm thinking you're crazy he didn't even have a place to lay his head he didn't have a home uh, everything he ever needed he borrowed he borrowed ships he borrowed a donkey he borrowed a tomb everything else he didn't have that stuff and he walked everywhere you know he didn't have a chariot to carry him around they had stuff like that back then for royalty and everything else but he didn't do that they're crazy their motivation is greed and it's sad it's sad. But what do we do? What do we do? Do we coexist? Do we compromise? Do we come together just to be united? You know, there are groups right now that are struggling with that. I was watching, I was watching one of the church. There's a lot of them. Uh, I don't know why I stumbled onto some of these, but a lot of United Methodist churches right now are debating, do they stay together or do they break off? Do they stay together, even though with the views of homosexuality and everything else, or do they break off and, and one stays with the truth and the other stays with error? And they're literally debating. I mean, imagine instead of tonight, instead of us opening up the Bible, there are many of these United Methodist churches. They're coming in like this tonight. And, and, and I've watched it. They'll have two lists of paper, uh, the pros uh, and then the againsts. And then they'll have all the names. And then you'll get up and you'll speak three minutes. The next one will get up, speak three minutes. And I, I watched a little bit of it the other day. I don't know why, uh, but I, I'm just listening to their, you know, well, you know, the, the church has a rich history. Uh, you know, everything's been going, uh, you know, we've done all these great things for the Lord. And, you know, I just don't think we could do great things if we if we split up. And then on the other end said, well, uh, we just don't believe these things are right. And literally it's going back and forth like that. And all it is is driving a wedge in there. Why? Because they've compromised. And now that they have to make somewhat of a decision, they're struggling, right? They're struggling. It's sad. I don't enjoy that. I'll tell you what, I've said it before. It's been a while. But if our denomination ever decided to get crazy like that, I'll be the first one out there taking the sign down. We'll change the name. And we'll just keep going on doing what God's called us to do. No big deal. That's not to say I don't appreciate the denomination, but if they turn against God's word, I'm not sticking with anything. I don't care how many years we've been doing this. But that's the problem. We've got people uh, standing on tradition and everything else instead of standing on God's word. He's saying sound doctrine, right? Not what somebody sends you from a corporate headquarters of the, of the church or anything. No, you stick with the Bible. But here's the thing. How do we do this? He, well, again, coexist. The answer is no. He says, uh, he said, whose mouths must be stopped. We've got to silence them with the word of God. But here's the thing. If you don't hold fast to the truth, 
If you don't get into the faithful word that he's talking about, you don't know what the Bible actually says, how are you going to go against any of this? You know, it's one of the problems. I've heard a lot of, you know, I'm a pastor, so I've heard a lot of Christians over, over the years say this. If you're, if you're posed with a problem, and you're thinking about God's word to answer that problem, and the first thing you say, or the first thing you do is maybe you have to come to me or somebody else, and you say something like, does the Bible say, or doesn't the Bible say this? That's a problem. If you're coming to me and say, well, doesn't the Bible say blah, blah, blah? Well, are you trusting me? You're asking a question. You know what you need to do is you need to say, this is what the Bible says. And if you got a big old question mark, get in it and figure it out. I could lead you astray. I don't want to, but I could. Heaven forbid that would ever happen. Many men have done it over the years. What you need to do is get into the Bible and say, this is what the Bible says, and get solid uh, on these sound doctrines. That way, there is no leading astray for yourself or with others or anything else, and you can answer and say, the Bible is clear on this. It is. I was just thinking about 1 John. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. And, uh, and you think about that. This is what the world, this is what the struggle is right here. It's light and darkness. It's truth and lie. And, and the Bible say, is very clear that God is light. In fact, I think it is it. I think it's John chapter one. Light is capitalized, talking about Jesus. It's one of his names. He's light, right? He's truth. Yet, what do we have? We've got people wanting to struggle with this and want to dabble in darkness and want to compromise and everything else. No, we've got to hold to the truth. He said it's it's got to be stopped before it turns entire houses over to this deception and these things. Let's keep going. Twelve. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. They had a bad reputation. The, the Cretans, they did uh, of being liars. We know what that means. Evil beasts means rude, cruel, angry, slow bellies, lazy, gluttonous. Uh, so Paul, he's saying, hey, uh, one of the things you notice is he doesn't, and knowing that this place has a bad reputation for all these things, he could have said, Titus, well, maybe you should go somewhere else. It's a little easier. He didn't do that. He said, I'm leaving you here to set things in order because of the things that they're having. But aren't you glad you read something like this? They've got a bad reputation, lots of liars, lots of evil beasts, lots of slow bellies. But aren't you glad that the power of God can change people forever through the blood of Jesus Christ? He can make it a new creature in Jesus Christ. So that means no matter what you were caught up in, whether it's anger, laziness, lies, whatever else, uh, uh, all the sinful things are Aren't you glad Jesus nailed it to the cross? He died for it. He paid his life for it. He rose from the dead for it uh, in victory. And here's the thing. You, uh, uh, whether it's Titus reaching the Cretans and the way they are, or whether it's us reaching the people around us, it's the exact same way. We use the gospel. We use Jesus Christ. We use sound doctrine. And we explain to them, here's, uh, here's what sin is. Here's what it means for your life. Here's what happens if you 
don't, if you die in your sin, but then there's Jesus Christ who paid for your sin. And you can choose life today and turn your life around. And that's what he's saying. Think 13, this witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. So 12 was the big reputation that they had. But 13, he's saying, hey, if in the church, the Christians start acting like liars and evil beasts and slow bellies. If that starts happening inside the church with church members, what's he say? Rebuke them sharply. Why? Because these are all sinful. These are all sinful things. Rebuke them. I think of 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. I love this passage. It says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, but ye are justified, and the lame of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. Isn't it great that no matter where we came from, we can see that washing, we can, what's he say? Washed, sanctified, justified all by Jesus Christ and his spirit. Praise God for that. Praise God. Because the same power of God and Jesus Christ that saved your soul is the same power of God and the Holy Spirit that'll make you new and that'll help you with uh, these stubborn things of the flesh that we keep battling. He will help us for this. Don't let that sinful behavior continue unchecked. That's what he's saying. Uh, when it comes in the church, uh, what do you do? You use sound doctrine to exhort, to point it out and get people to grow. That's what we try to do here too. That means sometimes toes will be stepped on, but that's all right. But the Cretans, what did he say? That they may be sound in the faith. The witness is true. So when he's, one of the things you're seeing uh, is that uh, you, the Cretans, if this is the reputation of that area, they need to see a difference inside the church than on the outside. Right? That church, if the outside, if that town, if that area has a reputation for being a liar, then inside the church, the church should not be full of liars. It should be full of people that are telling the truth. So that way, when they're dealing with those out there, they'll say, wait a second. You're not lying like everyone else is. You're not trying to get one over on me. You're not trying to deceive me or anger or everything else or being lazy. You're doing what God's called you to. That way they can see the inside. And then we can point to Jesus and say, hey, it wasn't me turning over a new leaf. It was Jesus Christ changing my life. That's what they need to see. 14, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. I don't know if you've ever read them before, but the Jews... For a lot of the Old Testament stories where we don't have certain details, they'll just make it up. They'll make, a, they'll make a fairy tale almost. They'll take what's true. And then when the Bible stops, they'll just fill in every blank that the Bible never filled in. And it always makes it, uh, sometimes you read it and you're like, well, this seems like too good to be true. Like it's, they just made up the best case and everything else. It doesn't fit what the Bible has. And these things will turn people. It really will. We don't need to make up extra stuff. We don't need extra books. We don't need things, anything else. We've got what God gave us. This is the revealed word of God. This is what he wants us to have. This is it. We don't need extras. And then he says, and commandments of men. You know, a lot of churches around have a bunch of man-made rules. 
Pharisees and Sadducees did that too. They had a bunch of Pharisees, especially had a bunch of rules on how to live, and you didn't live that way. They looked at you as a sinner and uh, and everything else. But Jesus attacked that pretty hard, pretty clearly throughout the Gospels, and we see again it's attacked. Hey, I could come up with a whole list of rules, and we could follow all those rules and not be very close to the Lord. I'm not saying uh, a lot of times they'll they'll get salvation right, uh, uh, then you're saved, but then you've got to follow these rules to kind of prove you're saved. Listen, we, the Ten Commandments, you can find that in the Old Testament. They still apply today, right? But it says you shouldn't murder, right? It says you you shouldn't bear false witness. You shouldn't try to steal your neighbor's wife and different things like that. But do you realize the New Testament goes further than all those things? Jesus went further. Not just do I not want you to murder. He said, hey, that, that anger there, that's just like murdering, right? That, that lust is just like committing adultery in your mind, right? He goes further than all those things. And then if all that wasn't enough, he said, I want you to love your enemies and love your neighbors. We can't go by the rules. We've got to go by the word of God. Because Jesus took it up way more notches than just the rules. He said, hey, I want it in your heart. I want you to follow all these. And we couldn't follow the rules anyway. What's sad is when you get someone that's lost, follows all the rules, says the right things, acts the right way, and they're still going to hell. Even though the church said, look at so-and-so. Man, aren't they? Man, I'm so glad they're wearing a suit today. They're singing the right way. They're praying the right way and everything else. And then they're lost and go to hell. I don't want that. I don't want it. I have no way of telling whether you're saved or not. I know people say, well, we can judge them by your fruit. Sure, but there are, there are people in the Bible that had no fruit that the Bible still says is just. I look at Lot. He's a, if he wasn't there, then I could argue with you. I could say, well, I believe it. But with Lot, there was no fruit there. The Bible calls him a just man. I don't understand it. So I can't look at you and tell whether you're saved or not. And that's what a lot of churches want. They want a test, an outside test. Now, you should, we should be able to see what's happened on the inside, but you can also fake it. Rules aren't going to get it. All they do is turn people from the truth to just following the rules. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's clear. We are to save by works. We're not kept by works. Uh, But I'm glad the next verse says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We're not saved by works. We're not kept by works. But we are created to work for the Lord. Amen. But they'll say, here's what a rule church will say to us. Well, you, you've made grace too cheap, right? You can, uh, you can live however you want. No, the Bible, again, we'll go back to sound doctrine. Uh, what's the Bible say? What shall we say then? How, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. That's what it says. I think it's Rome, maybe Romans 6. I can't remember. But uh, it is clear and keep going 15 under the pure all things are pure but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure and even their mind and conscience is defiled he's saying hey if you've got a, a pure heart pure mind you'll act pure verse 16 they profess that they know god but in works they deny him being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate what's pretty clear in this ending is we're saved by a holy god We're created new by a Holy Spirit, right? 
we need to strive to live holy every day. And that's what he's saying. Hey, you teach people. Titus, you preach and teach holiness and truth and sound doctrine and live it out. Because how we treat people, what's he 16? They profess that they know God. These are people that are say I'm saved. Say I love Jesus. Say I'm close to God. Him and I are buddy. You know, just all those different ways to say, profess that they know God. But in works, they deny him. And the Bible never paints that in a good light. How we treat people, how we act at work, how we live in our homes, how we, how we talk, everything. Uh, if we are doing sinful things, if we're acting sinful ways, and then we tell people that we know God, they're going to see it. They'll see it. They know, listen, they know enough Bible to know when we're sinning against God. They do. They do. And if we're preaching and teaching sound doctrine, which is what we have to do, our life has to back it up or it'll ruin our witness both in the church and in the world. But here's the thing. Paul has Titus stay there. It's in a bad place. You know, a lot of problems. Uh, you know, he's going to encounter problems out in the world and inside the church with all these things that are going on. But I'm glad uh, that the same Holy Spirit that helped Titus, the same sound doctrine that Titus preached is the same Holy Spirit, and the same word of God that we're continuing to do today. And it doesn't matter how wicked it is. It doesn't matter how many unruly, vain talkers, uh, uh, you know, and deceivers are around us. Uh, uh, the Bible worked in uh, 19, uh, what is it, 1950, 1950 years ago. The Bible worked then. It still works today as long as this world continues before the church is taken home it will continue to work this world can get more and more wicked but I'm telling you the same uh, uh, the same method of reaching the lost world is the Bible and it will always be the Bible that's it so I want to kind of do what we did last week if you weren't here uh, I, I want to close and, and I, want to, I want us to think about three things to pray about number one I want to pray that God helps us to set things in order, right? That's what he was saying. First, things be set in order on the inside. That, that sound doctrine would be preached and teached and lived on the inside. And I believe that that coincides with what we know about revival. Revival starts on the inside. It starts with the church. It starts with our hearts. And we need to pray. So let's start with that. Let's pray uh, for things set in order. Let's pray for us doing what God's called us to do first. thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. And Lord, we thank you uh, that although it hurts sometimes, I'm glad when it pierces through our heart. I'm glad when it illuminates things that we've kind of uh, pushed aside. And Lord, I ask that you'd help us to deal with these things. Lord, we want revival. Lord, and not just a special meetings, not just a fanfare, but Lord, we want revival of changed lives and changed hearts and Lord, if our heart needs change, Lord, I pray that you would point it out and then give us the grace and strength to deal with it and to move closer to you, to repent of those things that need uh, repented of, and Lord, to hold fast to the things that we're doing right, not to give up. Lord, help us to set 
uh, our hearts in order, our houses in order. And I don't know, maybe somebody who's listening to this now or listen later that doesn't know you, I, I pray that they'd call on the name of Jesus for salvation, for the forgiveness of sins before it's too late. And they'd have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you for what you're doing and what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. And amen. So then, uh, next thing, I want to pray that God uh, gives us a burden uh, for his word. Maybe at, at different parts, times of your life, maybe you had a real hunger for the word and maybe that's faded away. Let's pray that God brings that back. Or if you, maybe you're really into the word right now, let's pray that that continues. That it doesn't just... Uh, a passing fad. Maybe you started off the year good, then awesome. Let's finish the year strong. Let's go all the way through uh, and, and let's pray for that next. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its power. But Lord, we know that it does no good sitting on the shelf. We know that uh, unless we, uh, we read it, we study it, we think about it, meditate on it, pray about it, and apply it to our life, it doesn't, doesn't do us much good. Lord, help us to not be uh, filled with questions about does the word really say this or say that, but help us to be uh, to be definitive, to know the truth, to uh, to hide the word in our hearts, Lord, in our minds, and uh, Lord, just help us to think about whether it takes memorizing it or writing it out or or, or journaling or we're writing in our Bible or whatever it takes, Lord, give us a, uh, a just a burden for that, Lord, that we would just want to be in your word day after day. Lord, remind us of the times where it's uh, so much time has gone away in the day, and Lord, remind us before the day ends so we can get in your word every day. Lord, we thank you for your word. Help us to live it. In Jesus' name we pray, and amen. Last prayer, one more. Is this, let's pray that God helps us to live in the truth. Right, that's one of the big things we see right here. Is, hey, you've got to live that true word. You've got to live what the Bible says, and let's close with that. Lord, help us not to be a hypocrite. Lord, help us to live a genuine life, whether we're in your church, whether amongst other Christians, or whether we're at school, work, in our house, or encountering lost family and friends. Lord, help us to be genuine in all places. Lord, help us to, uh, to be loving, but also, Lord, help us to bring the truth. And Lord, that you would give us the words to say to be a witness. And Lord, I pray that you would help us in these areas of our lives that, uh, Lord, that are kind of two-faced. Lord, help us to be genuine. And Lord, we thank you that you are helping us every day to live according to your word. Thank you for the new life. Thank you for the help of the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us. And Lord, we thank you for your word. It's so precious to us. And Lord, I ask that you'd help each one of us to live a genuine life. And Lord, that we would see the results. Lord, help us to sow seeds of faith uh, in your word so we can reap the harvest later. That you, uh, Lord, just let us play a small part. And Lord, we'll rejoice in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right.